0: Welcome back to Agam the Climate Podcast, a literary podcast on climate and consciousness. The last time you heard from us was before the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope that you and all you hold dear are safe and in good spirits. As we grapple with new uncertainties, we are bringing you the voices of poets, artists, and scientists who find solace and strength in the imagination. I'm Padma Perez. Join me as we weave together climate science, the humanities, and actionable hope. This episode was recorded in 2019. Kathy Jatniel Kitchener was in the Philippines for a meeting of the 48 members of the Climate Vulnerable Forum, or CVF. The CVF is an international forum for countries most threatened by climate change. Kathy is Climate Envoy for the Republic of the Marshall Islands and is the CVF's thematic ambassador for culture. She is a poet, a teacher, and a performer. Here, she talks about her diplomatic work for the Marshall Islands, her piece for the forthcoming Agam anthology, and reflects on grief and poetry's power to heal. Hi, Cassie. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Many people know you from when you addressed the UN Climate Summit in 2014 with your poem, Dear Mata Penam. I hope you don't mind my asking, but how is your daughter?
1: Oh, she's good. So she is five years old now and um, she is with her dad at the moment while I'm out here in uh, Oregon.
0: And just a couple of weeks ago, you and the poet Aka Niviana of Greenland were recognized jointly as Climate Communicator of the Year. So congratulations for that. Thank you. And this was particularly for the poem Rise. Yes. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Um, Could you tell our listeners about this collaborative poem you did together?
1: Sure. Um, So Rise is a poem video that was filmed in Greenland and in the Marshall Islands. And the initial concept was created by the founder of 350.org, Bill McKibben. Um, I met him at a conference about a year before that. And he said, you know, he came to me and said, I want to film you on an iceberg. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we got together the funding and uh, they were having a big rise campaign up to the new September climate summit that was happening in San Francisco last year. And so we decided to time it, you know, in accordance with that. So initially it was supposed to be just me traveling from the Marshall Islands to Greenland. And the concept was connecting the melting glaciers with the rising Rising sea level in the Marshalls. But I didn't feel good about going to somebody else's land and performing on it without, you know, having someone native to that land speaking with me. Right. So I asked around for our, an, a Greenlandic native artist to, that I could collaborate with. I wasn't really picky about, you know, them being a poet. But then we got really lucky that Aka Niviana, who is this, you know, Greenlandic native poet, was had spoken at a conference the year before. And, you know, the scientist who was taking us around and teaching us about the glaciers happens to know her. So yeah. we were able to connect. So we connected first through Facebook and then we wrote our own parts. And the idea was, well, for us uh, in the Marshall Islands, whenever we visit an outer island or a different island, there's a ritual that we always engage with. And I think Mm -hmm. it's common to a lot of indigenous cultures, which is, you know, the exchange of gifts. This is that you exchange gifts and you thank them for welcoming you to the land and, you know, they welcome you in return. Mm-hmm. And so the concept that we came up with for the poem video became me journeying to Greenland and exchanging gifts with Akaniviana and, um, you know, us exchanging stories and the ways our culture and our islands have been impacted by climate change. And so that was the entire theory behind it. And so that's what we ended up creating. And yeah.
0: And the gifts you exchanged were shells and mm-hmm. stones, right?
1: Yeah, they were shells. And so I gave her shells from Runit and Begini. So those are two islands that were affected by nuclear legacies in the Marshall Islands, the nuclear testing that was conducted by the U.S. And so it was supposed to represent that, you know, survival of our islands. Mm-hmm. And so I exchanged that with her and she exchanged stones that she picked from the shores of Nook, which is her hometown, Yeah.
0: What was it like to film that video? So, so for our listeners, you can see the video on Kathy's website. That's mm-hmm. KathyJetnielKijner dot com. Mm-hmm. What was the filming like?
1: Uh, it was really fun because I've never been to Greenland, and so it was just like we got to explore all of these different, like, really sleepy towns and villages throughout Greenland. And we had to actually camp on a glacier to film it too. Yeah, so it was, you know, that's completely different from my element, obviously. So I just had a blast, basically. It was super fun, yeah.
0: And were there a lot of people involved in the filming?
1: There was only two filmmakers we worked with, Dan Lin and Osgo. Um, They're friends of mine. They had actually helped produce the film that I... Released earlier that year, which was about visiting Runit and Bikini, the nuclear radiated atolls in the Marshalls. So it was almost like a bookended project where they sort of complement each other. If you look at it, it's very similar styles. And it's uh, um, so uh, just them, and then also the scientist, Jason Box, uh, who was the one who really gave us all of the information on, you know. He's been monitoring the glaciers this entire time for the past well, more than ten years, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Bill McKibben, the founder, also came along just yeah. to, just for fun, kind <laughs> of yeah, just Didn't to out. Yeah, I think he just wanted to support the project <laughs> yeah, and yeah, he wanted to see great. it come to fruition. Yeah. So yeah, it was great.
0: Would you say that the poem that you and Aka came up with was informed by the science of the scientist who was monitoring the glaciers?
1: Um, Actually, not really, because we wrote the poems before we got there. It was really about our personal perspectives as, you know, Indigenous people, as Indigenous women um, experiencing climate change and what we were trying to process. And another thing we kind of drew on was legends. So I told Akka that I love legends and that's, you know, the basis of a lot of my poetry is generally is legends. And so, you know, she decided to do the same. So we connected our legends together. And um, I had my former mentor... It helped edit uh, the piece together so that it flowed more evenly.
0: And you you mentioned legends, and I want to point towards how your poetry and your performances incorporate history Mm -hmm. and the Marshalls' experience of colonialism and the American nuclear testing that they did on the islands, Mm -hmm. but you also use your own language very much in your poetry and your rituals And I appreciate how legends blur the lines between what is history. Mm -hmm. And if we all go back at some point, our histories are legends, the Mm -hmm. way people told them were legendary. How did these things find their way into your work as a poet?
1: I think uh I just naturally gravitate towards fantasy. I mean, for me I'm a, you know, kind of a fantasy nerd a bit. Like not <laughs> as much as like my brother or some of my friends, but yeah. you know, like Lord of the Rings, you oh, know, wow. yeah. yeah, all of those kinds of things, you know, I just genuinely enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And then so it's a really natural or, if anything, maybe it's more natural that I gravitate towards our traditional legends because there's so much magic within that, too. And I think whenever I write about these really difficult, heavy, kind of heady, kind of topics of climate change or nuclear legacies. The legends add this sort of mystical kind of strength or a mystical kind of strength to it that that I try to draw on this kind of deep and ancient wisdom that exists and has survived despite all of this, you know, trauma. And so that's what I'm trying to touch on whenever I bring them into my work.
0: And you're also ensuring their survival by continuing to tell them, right? So that they're not forgotten. Mm -hmm. Turning now to the next Agam Anthology, could you describe for our listeners the image
1: that you received? So the image is a woman, the back of a woman taking a photo of a young man sitting on a structure that looks like a boat and smiling and posing for their phone camera and against this blank sky.
0: And how does Nice voice, your piece, connect to the photo?
1: I think that I could see some connections in the sense that the idea of of the the viewer and the subject, um, the idea of you know, like posing, putting on a show in a sense mm-hmm. for the viewer, and the you know, which is the experience of kind of being uh, a representative of you know a small island nation of being an indigenous person is constantly being on view, being a subject, and then there's this boat, you know, and um, this boat like structure that he's sitting on. And I think for me, the connection I could see with the poem is that is the the movement of families, you know, the artificial structure of the artificial islands that we're looking to build in the Marshall Islands because of the rising sea level. You know, we're looking at building artificial islands and there's this artificial structure that this man is sitting on in the photo. But then also the idea of the boat and, and the ways in which we travel between these different worlds and these different identities, my identity as a climate envoy and, you know, in these international negotiating realms. And then moving back into this traditional, the traditional community culture of be- being back home where none of that matters and you are just, you know, one of many in a, in a community. Mm-hmm. So I think that these are kind of the, the connections that I see between the photo and the poem.
0: So that whole thing of being on display and having to present a certain face, that's, mm-hmm. that's the nice voice. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's the nice voice that, you know, I struggle with as a poet when you're in these spaces and trying to be authentic. And yet, you know, there's also a part of you that is having to put on a show and is having to maintain a, a performance in a sense.
0: And you, you mentioned already, so I'll come to that question now about your being a climate envoy. So what mm-hmm. is that job?
1: So my position as a climate envoy is a relatively new position that our government started uh, just this past May. It was officiated, or was it April? And um, it's uh, there's two of us, actually. There's mm-hmm. me as I'm a climate envoy, and there's also Tina Stegi who also represents as climate envoy. Um, she's another Marshallese woman based out of New York and our positions were created to support our government um, you know with developing the National Adaptation Plan so the National Adaptation Plan is a plan that our government is is formulating to deal with the rising sea level so we had a climate conference last year where a climate scientist came and advised us that we no longer could focus entirely on mitigation and would now need to focus on adaptation Mm -hmm. so the idea of building or literally elevating our islands to be able to stay and maintain our sovereignty in our own uh in our own home and so our work is kind of uh you know representing our government at you know uh international meetings and you know trying to find ways to get that support for this adaptation uh to, pathway to build
0: the artificial possibly
1: islands. i mean i think artificial islands is far off and maybe not as realistic as elevating the islands but you okay. know yeah there is this possibility of having to change the entire landscape just to be able to, you know, to stay in our islands. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at now. More and more people are investing in mitigation versus adaptation. No one really understands, you know, what adaptation is and it's not as, um, you know, it's not solar panels and it's it's just like shoring up your shoreline and preparing Mm -hmm. for, you know, like current issues, yeah. and I think because everyone is still thinks of climate change as a future issue rather than a current exactly. issue, it becomes yeah. easier for them to invest in mitigation rather yeah. than looking at the reality of adaptation. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and and um, for many people, and I think this is that's the disparity. There's this huge gap. Between experiencing it now Mm -hmm. and people still talking about it as something that's
1: coming. Yeah.
0: Sometimes I still make that mistake. I still talk about climate change as something that's coming. In the future.
1: I think there's definitely a worse scenario happening in the future that we are preparing ourselves for. But yeah, of course, there is a reality of the current situation too.
0: Yeah. And how is it being experienced now in the Marshall Islands.
1: So uh, for us, it's before it was a rising sea level, you know, current, uh, really frequent wave inundations. So a lot of waves crashing against our homes, destroying homes, drying out our crops. It was happening at a more frequent rate, almost four times a year at one mm-hmm. point. Then there was uh, the worst drought we'd seen in years where people were literally fighting over water and the outer islands were had no water at all.
2: Yeah.
1: And then, but now, what I'm noticing now, it was just pointed out to me recently, Recently, um, by a friend was that the, it's the level of illnesses health risks mm-hmm. so we have like almost a thousand cases and now it's definitely more of dengue in the islands right now and then you're seeing cases like the measles outbreak out in Samoa right. you know like there's definitely an increase of of disease epidemics that are because of, you know, that are definitely related to the climate changing.
0: In what way?
1: Well, I know that for us, whenever it rains or, you know, More um, mosquitoes. More mosquitoes. So more mosquito-borne illnesses increase with yeah. the changing climate. And that's been proven by scientists. So what we always try to tell people abroad is, you know, everything that's happening in the marshals is a microcosm of what's going to happen in the rest restroom. Yeah.
0: In your poem "Anointed," where you visited the tomb or ruin, it where all the U.S. American mm-hmm. nuclear waste is buried under mm-hmm. cement, you mention a legend mm-hmm. um, of a turtle goddess as mm-hmm. well. Could mm-hmm. you tell me more about the turtle?
1: Uh Well, to be f- frank, we do eat turtles, so it's actually are, a part of our yeah. There culture. are some cultures
0: yeah. here; uh, some indigenous groups eat turtles yeah. as well. But we definitely really, yeah.
1: We don't actually eat like, a huge amount. It's usually saved for special occasions, Mm. and um, that's about it. We're not, like, hunting them on a mass, you know, extinction sort of, process but it is the legend that i used was about um because i i was looking at the dome as like a shell a concrete shell oh, so i connected yeah. it to the turtle shell that was that gave Ledao, which is a, a mythical trickster like a, almost a okay. half god it gave him his power was this turtle shell from the the goddess, the turtle goddess, uh, yeah, that was his mother. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of played with that. Yeah. So I was looking at the illusion of shells and, and the idea of, of the power that's given to people and to the power that we're given, you know, and how who gives us that kind of power and what we do with that kind of power. I saw the nuclear energy that the U.S. had as a kind of power that they abused, in a mm-hmm. sense, and they abused it against us as a people, you know, in the Marshall Islands. And so I was making that illusion, yeah, in that poem.
0: So Ledao, 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 so Ledao, yeah. Ledao is a trickster. Yes. Yeah. A very interesting figure in many myths and legends yes, yeah, around
1: Many the world. of us have tricksters, yeah. Yeah because mm-hmm.
0: they do give gifts mm-hmm. but they they can also be very destructive yes
1: exactly and that's exactly what Leodao is in the legend where he uses his gift to trick a boy into setting his uh, his entire his village, village on, on fire. fire right and so it's like that idea of what do we do with the power we're given yeah. and
0: and who who gave who anointed who
1: anointed you who gives you that power and then also you know who is damaged by that power yeah So I'm actually here at a meeting for um, the V20, the Climate Vulnerable Forum and the V20, which is uh, an organization, well, not a formal organization, but a coalition of countries that are the most vulnerable to climate change coming together together to negotiate for and to negotiate and and also to push for support for our countries, you know, and showing that we can do the changes ourselves and that we can, you know, we're committing to 100% renewable energy, but we're also trying to find other ways, like, especially through the V20, through our finance ministers to yes. to support, you know, through various mechanisms like intra-resilience, idea of creating res- uh, insurance schemes, insurance packages for our countries to be able to support you know, communities after they're hit with climate change disasters or to streamline financing mechanisms and so that we can access finance a lot easier because it's quite difficult for many of our nations and it's to access financing that we need to survive. And so that's also been a way to support through it, yeah.
0: Through this conversation we're having now, I'm I'm hearing the nice
1: voice and I'm hearing... (laughs) But I mean, this is also necessary, right? So that's the Absolutely. thing with, yeah. I mean, I can, I can hold the, the difficulties of being a representative, but I can also recognize that it's necessary that we engage in these kinds of conversations and that we have a seat at the table because at the end of the day, the Marshall Islands contributes 0.00001% of the world's global emissions. And yet we're the ones to go underwater first. Yeah. And so it's the international realm that's contributed the most to climate change. So we have to be in those conversations with them.
0: Yeah, you can't not participate. Exactly,
1: yeah. We have to have a seat at that table, yeah.
0: And yes, the politics of it is necessary and the science is very important. Mm -hmm. And everything is based on the science now and the decisions that are being made have to be based on the science. But we're also seeing how the language of science and politics, they come up short Mm. in conveying... The gravity of the crisis we're we're facing, right? And and you alluded to this earlier when you talked about how it's difficult for you as a poet as well to um, have to speak this other language mm-hmm. when you are in meetings, international meetings, and, it and is, negotiations. Yeah, it is
1: a whole other language in a, in and of itself, right? So it's it's something that I'm still learning and I'm still grasping. But yeah, it is pretty difficult.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and one thing that you and Agam, the work of Agam, share is this belief that for us to be able to speak about climate change, we need to use language that comes from our hearts and that will touch people's hearts. You know, it's not just all in the mind Um and you also are doing work aside from your own personal work as a poet. You also founded an organization that's trying to um, incorporate art and poetry in addressing climate change. That's Jojikum.
1: Yeah. So Jojikum is actually it's a nonprofit focused on youth and climate change and environmentalism. And so, a aspect of it is using art and poetry, and that's been through. Like climate change arts camp that we facilitated, where we teach high school students the science of climate change and then how to distill that into creation, creating new work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we've done that in the past, but we also do like project management. We teach them how to, you know, uh, apply for grants, how to develop a project for the villages that solves an environmental issue, and then how to like do outreach and you know how to be a leader, environmental leader. We've also done digital storytelling, where we use media to tell the stories of climate change and. We we teach them how to use their phones just ah. just for, um, you know, filming those kinds of uh, I- issues. Yeah. So
0: no fancy cameras. Or- the idea
1: is, no, is that we wanted to keep it as simple as possible. So just how to use a phone and then that's it. And how to edit and upload. Yeah. And
0: what kinds of stories did they come up with?
1: Well, so actually we're, we're having... Um, a film festival where they're going to show their videos, their short videos, and they're all videos for social media, so they're very, very short. Mm-hmm. But they're all videos that kind of talk about a little bit about climate change, and usually they would interview someone from their community, you know, about their perspectives on climate change. And so, yeah, that's most of it was was kind of teaching them how to do that, you know, yeah. to get more voices and perspectives out there on on the issue of climate change. So it's not just like me or yeah. you know other folks, yeah.
0: yeah. And that's that's also what we're hoping to do with with the new book which mm-hmm. we're so happy you're going to be in. It's an international literary anthology and we asked everybody to um not use the jargon and we had a list a long mm-hmm. list. I think there're 30 or so words on
1: the list that you're not allowed to use. And which I didn't even know that you guys <laughs> gave us. But no, but, but you didn't. For, I didn't yeah. use it because yeah. that's bad writing. Like yeah, exactly. to me, I don't want to read a poem full of jargon. Like I wouldn't enjoy unless Unless it was like to to poke fun at the jargon. To like, unless the poem was about the jargon. Yeah. yeah. Which could be a pretty good poem too, actually. So yeah. Maybe yeah. you'll write yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. A
0: jargon poem. Yeah. And um some people struggled with it with mm. not being able to use the words mm-hmm. like global warming or greenhouse gases. And we did ask a couple of scientists to contribute to the book Climate Scientists. Mm. And
1: yeah, that's hard. The, they For had them a hard time, yeah. but they enjoyed
0: the challenge. And, okay, good, good. And good. Uh, they came up with, with interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So coming back to the nice voice, mm-hmm. why did you choose this this perspective or this particular angle?
1: I think that it's just a poem that kind of came out. I, I started with the idea of me telling my daughter to say what she wanted in a nice voice and how that can be kind of, you know, I, I recognize it's a little like... It's a little patronizing to tell somebody, hey, don't whine, you know, mm-hmm, but it's also mm-hmm. something you have to do as a parent. Yes. But um, I think it was something that I was really struggling with was this role, you know, in these international realms. And and then it's somehow I had just been at a KMM, you know, at a mm-hmm. b- first birthday. And for us, first birthdays are a huge cultural you know, this party is a huge cultural okay. uh, event so, for our community. Uh, kem- uh, a KMM is, is a first birthday. Yeah, okay. that's why it says a baby's breast endures their first, first year. year. Yeah. yeah. So before, I guess we had a lot of uh, deaths of babies. You know, in when we were younger, and now whenever we throw these KMMs, it's a huge deal. I, I would say it's almost bigger than weddings in my perspective. Uh-huh. From my perspective, it's that much of a big deal. So being a part of the game and, and like helping with the food and feeding people you know actually not just attending but actually being a part of it 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 felt good it felt like a rhythm that mm-hmm. you can get lost in I've, i experienced that when i was in there and i realized that i wanted to kind of connect these two completely different spaces right. being in the international realm when you feel really alone and you feel really drained by the work you're doing and then being one of a whole in this yes. KMM, in, in this community that's of people and that, you know, performing a tradition that's been per- happening for for so long for your own community, you know. And I think that was what I was trying to capture, this idea that we're surviving despite everything that we're doing and that, you know, that we're negotiating for our survival now in a sense that, you know, we're still surviving. There's also, yeah. we're also celebrating, we're continuing to celebrate survival.
0: And works the other way around too. The reason, as you said earlier, the reason the work in the international realm is so important is precisely because of... The second part of your poem is the community and the chemem and belonging to that whole.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an essential part for me is, um because a lot of times I think people struggle with like, they're like, what do you do? Because you just seem to be all over the place and they don't really <laughs> understand. Like one minute I'm in the Marshalls, and the next minute I'm in Manila and like <laughs> people don't understand. So I've like formed like a graphic that shows like, you know, the Climate Envoy work, then the Tigum work, and then the poetry and the art and for me they all feed into one another like I can't do one without the other I think I think they're all incredibly important for the work that I do
0: and and why why is poetry important in this
1: work I think for me it's very healing so after the I was just talking about this after the climate scientists came to the Marshall Islands and told us that we had no choice but to basically change irrevocably change the entire landscape of our land to be able to stay in our own island like for us as i think as indigenous folks as for most indigenous cultures they would understand that connection to land that there's po- there's there's songs there's legends there's Proverbs rooted in every piece of land in and the marshals. And
0: ancestors are yeah. buried there.
1: Yeah. And then to be able to have to destroy it and then move an entire, you know, communities. And, our, and we have a very complicated land tenure system. Every piece of land co- belongs to someone. Uh-huh. It doesn't actually belong to just the government at all. So then there's all of that. So I found it deeply... I was really depressed by this prospect that we now had no other choice but to destroy our own land, to be able to stay in our own. So I, I worked through that grief. I felt grief, a lot of grief over that. And, you know, I'm a very sensitive person. So obviously maybe other people wouldn't feel that level of grief, but I did. And so what I did was I used two performances over the coming year that became like rituals. What I saw as rituals, these performances where I was basically grieving this this fact that we were about what we were about to do. Mm -hmm. And once I was done with these performances, I just felt better. Like it was just like I needed to feel the feelings. I needed to grieve it. And then I can move on and do the international work yeah. with a clear head. Like, I need to be able to write and create this out. So the poetry and art for me is a very personal, it's a very personal um, ritual in and of itself that I need to be able to continue to do the work with a clear head.
0: Do you feel that it's something that works for other people as well?
1: I have, I mean, I recommend it all the time. I think uh, there's a lot of youth that I work with who have written poetry and I've, I've worked with them with... Uh, through poetry workshops to help them connect to the issue. And it's really helped them to process, you know, the, the, the fear of climate change because they hear it all the time but they don't necessarily know what to do and they don't know how to process the feelings either
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: it's just sitting there you know and um, I think that poetry and art can help them and mobilize them and I think projects you know even doing village projects and digital storytelling even though it's not necessarily poetry and art it's it's an action that gets yeah. them moving yeah. you know instead of being stuck in inertia and in fear.
0: In the international realm, one of the words that's bandied around a lot is resilient. Mm, yeah. how, how do you, How does that word make you feel?
1: It makes me cringe a little. I'm not a huge fan of the term resilience. I think the way that people have used it is very... I, I guess it's just gotten a little cliché. Yeah, I think it used to have some strength. I mean, resilient. We're resilient. We yes. are. We're resilient people. And I think that a lot of communities of color and a lot of um, Indigenous folks and people who identify as Indigenous would... Would say we're resilient people. We've survived a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's fine. And I think that's true. But I think that it's become like a buzzword that's like it's just gotten a little icky and it's been kind of used in ways that are almost overshadowing the the real issue, the real
2: yeah.
1: issue of being, sur- yeah. of surviving. It's almost… Sometimes it's almost used like, well, you're resilient anyway. Like you're going to survive this. And it's like, yes, I don't, but I don't, I prefer when it comes from someone who's from like a first world nation that's like causing a lot of destruction. It can feel like a slap in the face. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about
1: hope? Hope is okay. <laughs> it was funny because someone, a friend of mine, we were talking about it recently, was telling me that we need to negotiate this this concept of hope, you know, hope as like, hope can stop you from moving in a sense, you know. Um, Hope can stop you from being angry, can silence anger and which is necessary. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like, of course, we need hope, you know, and the hope is necessary for the work too. I think that there's a lot of, it's a lot of complicated emotions that comes with the issue of climate change. And I think that exploring all of those emotions and not saying one is bad over the other is that's what that's again why poetry and art is so helpful in that sense, because it, you know, it allows us to hold space for all of these kinds of feelings and perspectives and stories rather than um, having just one clean cut, cut dry So the whole range from despairing Mm -hmm. to feeling hope, to feeling strength, to feeling, you know, I think that I had a poem about my cousin because, and it's about like how she, her house had been destroyed by the King Tides and journalists were hitting her up to say like, how do you feel now? And they Mm -hmm. were, I was connecting her to them and I was kind of helping her through it and um... Well, it was interesting to me. Was she was telling me when they were like, "Well, how do you feel? Like, you know, are you okay?" Like they were like very much like expecting the story of grief, and she was like, "Well, I'm kind of just looking forward to the future." And she just was like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, "That's not really what they want to hear." I almost, yeah. I almost could feel myself interrogating that kind of storyline, right. even within myself. Right. And I was, and I was just realizing how you know sometimes you just want to move forward, and yeah. Um, yeah. that's a very different storyline than what people might expect from climate survivors.
0: What about solidarity? Mm.
1: I like solidarity. I think that there's ways in which I find movements of solidarity between the work of climate change and, you know, people fighting for their independence in other nations or people fighting for their land. And I don't associate it necessarily with just, um, you know, uh, outsiders or foreigners or Westerners or white folks like trying to say theyre they're in allyship or in solid solidarity. in solidarity yeah i don't I don't necessarily associate with just them for me, it's very much my feeling towards other communities of color and other f- folks who are fighting for their freedom and for their land and yeah and
0: for yourself, apart from your poetry, are there other things you do to? Keep sane, I should say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, my daughter is—you know—being a mother is very grounding. The daily tasks of of a home and taking care of a home and taking care of your daughter is—it's a very grounding role, and I think that that's a really important part of definitely, of being who I am.
0: And you mentioned earlier that you're moving back to the Marshall Islands yeah, with so, your
1: daughter. Yeah, I was based in the Oregon for about three or four years. I can't remember right now. But now, yeah, I've decided to move back to the Marshalls. Yeah. And is she, um, does she speak the language? She does, um, but, you know, it's not as fluent as her English. So we were definitely trying to, that's part of the reason why I wanted to bring her back was because I wanted to make sure she grew up around her language and around her land. Yeah,
0: In Nice Voice, um, you you do use your language quite a bit. Could I ask you to just quickly explain some of the words? Like I think you mentioned food, pub and yeah. meh.
1: Pub and meh is uh, pandanus. A peninous plant that's pounded into a sweet, into a treat. And then meh is breadfruit. Yajimi is sashimi. Um, yeah, pogo yajirine ni means like take your children from the front. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Move them to the side. Yeah, it's a very
1: common thing that the MC <laughs> has to shout at these parties because the kids are just everywhere, just running around. So it's a very if you're Marshallese, you're gonna be you're gonna know what I'm referencing mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everyone has heard an MC shout that at some point. <laughs>
0: yeah. Here's Kathy reading an excerpt from her poem Nice
1: Voice. Our gloved hands pluck out barbecue chicken, fried fish, scooped potato salad, dew-like droplets of bup and meh. Someone yells for another container of jajimi. The speaker warbles a keyboarded song. A child inevitably cries. Mine dances in the middle of the party. The MC shouts, The children are obstructing our view.
0: Kathy's piece, Nice Voice, is part of the forthcoming Agam anthology of poems and stories on the climate crisis from 24 countries in Africa, Asia, the Pacific, and Latin America. I, I, I love the chaotic feel of that, of that part. Yeah, yeah, of the poem. Yeah. <laughs> and um, do you have a favorite food from the Marshalls?
1: uh i definitely love uh barbecued fish barbecued red snapper is one of my favorite and then lobster and then what else do i like yeah those are true oh and of course i do love breadfruit yeah mm.
0: you know i was struck by a line in your blog where you wrote i'm not a scientist marine biologist or architect and i i didn't read that as a disclaimer i saw it rather as a powerful place from which to speak because i find that many people remain silent on on the climate crisis because they're not quote unquote Mm -hmm. experts um Mm -hmm. but your poetry shows us that we don't have to be these things in order to speak of something that affects us all so thank you for making time kathy and thank Thank you for sharing your poetry with us
1: thank you for having me
0: This year, Kathy's voice joins those of world leaders urging all nations to meet the Midnight Survival Deadline for the climate. What is the Midnight Survival Deadline? Find out on the website of the Climate Vulnerable Forum and visit the Agam Agenda's website for links to Kathy's poetry and work. Thank you for listening. Agam the Climate Podcast is produced by the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities and Ground Bravo Studios, with music by Rohan Remando. For more episodes, follow Agam the Climate Podcast on Spotify and SoundCloud. We are a part of the Agam Agenda, a shape-shifting platform for transdisciplinary collaboration where we reimagine the climate crisis through stories and art. Engage with the Agam Agenda on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website agam.ph. That's A-G-A-M P-H.